Welcome to the Igniting Consciousness podcast, where we discuss all things related to raising your consciousness. We're obsessed with exploring outside-of-the-box ideas on a wide variety of topics that impact your well-being and expression of life force energy. We dive deep into topics of health, transformation, conscious parenting, human design, manifestation, spirituality, living in harmony with nature, and more. We're excited to explore the captivating mysteries and beauty of life with you and to raise the collective consciousness of humanity together. Let's dive in. My goodness, are you in for a treat with today's episode? I talked with Mei Yoshikawa, who is a mother, a writer, a blogger, a yoga instructor, a yogi specifically, and she is just a, such a beautiful soul, and you'll get the capture the essence of who she is so quickly. We talked for over an hour and 20 minutes in this episode here, and we totally could have gone on, and we are going to have a part two because there's so much more to expand upon. We go into how she's gone through trials and tribulations and very traumatic events throughout her, her early years that got her to where she is right now. And not only has she expanded upon that, but she has really been able to want like go out and deliver the message with other people of what they can do when they when they go inward and they connect in with their heart to understanding who they are, be okay with the quietness and to really find that safe place, what it means to be in a safe place space and a safe place, not just physically, but within your mind, within your body and to fully embody that. And she goes through and she describes in beautiful detail how she experienced that with the differences in her pregnancies with from her first pregnancy to her second pregnancy and how that really evolved. And you could feel you can just feel the essence of who she is and how she embodied that in, in just describing it throughout her pregnancy. So even though when you hear this episode, you're going to hear a lot about that talking about as a mom and, and her laboring. But this applies to life. So I'm so excited for you to dive in so you can capture these tools, these nuggets, these gems on what you can do to apply the, the find the safety and the security within your mind, within your heart and to come into heart brain coherence for you to be able to just live peacefully and a life full of, of vigor and also just absolute satisfaction and joy and inner knowing and confidence of who you are, regardless of outside judgments, cultural subjections and anything else that might be limiting you to becoming the expansive person that you really are. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Igniting Consciousness podcast, where we talk all things in relation to expanding your mind, your awareness, and your consciousness of who you are here in life, how to bring it forward, wake up other people, and how to live your best self. I'm joined today with a beautiful human being, a beautiful woman that is across the world in Japan right now as we're recording on completely different times. But the beauty of the online world serves and provides for us, Mei Yoshikawa. And she is a mother, a writer, a yoga, I should say like a yogi. You probably could label yourself as a yogi, right? And massive amount of information that she could be sharing with us today in relation to how she's found herself into her work where she, what she's doing today how she started expanding her mind and unraveling and getting into this world of expanding consciousness and what that means to her and how it can relate to you and share messages probably with other women but their people in general how they can start to elevate themselves and become better versions of themselves and enjoy here on earth may welcome to the podcast thank you so much for having me i'm so delighted to connect with you me too and i just love how 
you reached out and and actually Instagram and it's just perfect perfect timing for me because I'm like was such a anybody who knows I do human design readings like on the side as well and being a manifester I'm just so interested in going out initiating and making things happen and on this end you actually initiated and came out to me and it must have been responding to me putting out in the vortex out in the field that I was ready to talk to some other other women and other like-minded women in the world around yoga actually um, wow like per like physical practices and uh, very healthfully minded people. So just beautiful how it worked out. Perfect timing. And then now we're connecting. And so May, I just want you to share. And you've mentioned that you wanted to share topics with, with people that you think are really crucial for people to know about. So let's get into that. And like, what is it that you want people to know about? Oh, goodness. I mean, you know, you've been on this road studying learning and living a greater awareness a greater consciousness it's like we can dive into this from so many different angles um i guess i'll begin by telling you a little bit about myself i um i like to say that i look japanese i speak american english but i found my heart in south india because um my so my mom is half american and half japanese my mom was i should say and uh, I grew up here in Tokyo, Japan, going to international schools. So I'm very fluent in English, but culturally, I'm still somewhat Japanese and kind of a blend. I've actually never lived outside of Japan for very long. Um, and growing up here, there is this imbalance of being a mixed breed in one of the most homogenous cultures of our time. And the sense of searching for myself, you know, a sense of belonging and who I am. And I think I had that in my heart as a deep longing, even since I was a child. I started yoga when I was 21, and that came from a dark tunnel because my mom developed a very rare neurological disease. The symptoms started when I was 17, and she was only 47. It was so rare that it took two full years in nine different university hospitals to diagnose. And when they finally did, they said, this is an atypical Alzheimer type dementia that was eating up at her brain. And from that point, through the initial three years, four years, five years and onwards, her condition would deteriorate in a way where she would lose memory, long-term memory short-term memory, three-dimensional recognition. Um, she, she might not be able to look me in the eyes when she talks to me, or she might mistake me for my sister. So I developed these huge questions about what is human consciousness? Who is my mom if she can't see me or remember my name? Does she recognize my being? You know, I, I, I had such an ache with these big questions in my mind, but I was also so young, right? That it made me sick. It made me depressed. I was an insomniac and it was just eating up at my own health in a terrible way until finally I was like, okay, I need to start taking care of my own health or it's not just going to be my mom who's very sick. And I went to doctors 
that they would typically prescribe me antidepressants and sleeping pills, which can definitely be an option for some. But for me, I felt like it really wasn't getting at the root cause, you know? So I kept searching. I tried acupuncture, um, chiropractors, and eventually I found yoga and the, the simplicity of uniting the movement of my breath with the movement of my body and the use of focused conscious awareness to do that changed my life. It helped me to sleep. It helped me to slowly, slowly begin to take the reins of the thoughts in my mind that were scattered, hurt, and just shouting, why God, why God, why God, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us? And as you can imagine, these aren't empowering thoughts, right? These are the very thoughts that were making me more sick. So it took me years, but gradually through yoga and through meditation, I learned to slowly and gently shift the narrative of my mind, shift the thought so that it could begin to work for me and not against me. So that's kind of the gist of it. But I used these applications of conscious awareness in having a beautiful home birth. Um, and also later on in my life, I touch upon this in my book, but, um, my husband, I lost him to a sudden traffic accident about five years ago. So I went through a very tremendous um, experience with grief in my 30s. And um, I just don't think I would have survived these experiences of my life had I not developed the awareness to say, that's just a thought. That's just a thought. That's just the thought, you know, like when something really negative eats up at you. So there's so much I want to share with you and with your audience. But um, I guess my message is really about taking hold of your conscious awareness of the mental narrative and your mindset and that you ultimately have the power to do that, that it's in your hands. Mm. And that... I mean that right there this is this is where we'll start that the the tragedy that can happen in life with loved ones I mean from your mom to a loss of a husband of a partner that you had you have two boys three boys two boys two boys with and how old are your kids now they are 14 and 6 14 and 6 wow I mean so much life I mean we know 14 years along the years prior to with your husband and and being able to come over on the other side, not just for you, but for your children at the same time. And, and right. to be that to be that beacon of of light of, okay, I'm gonna see, you know, and a lot of times we we will stand up for like, what will we do for our kid if even if it's not for us a lot of times, right? So I wanna rewind this a bit for you to start to unravel the the whole conversation around consciousness is so expansive and the whole conversation around meditation is so expansive because there's so many different types of meditation and 
that I so many people that are listening in are like, well, I don't know how to meditate. I don't know how to do it the right way. So let's just start with that, with these these awarenesses that you had after these tragic situations and that you've had in your life. You've taken, there's been a lot of work to lead up to you being able to, to not just handle it, but but to be able to process it and to be able to to continue on and and enjoy life continuing on enjoy it so how did you find your way into meditation i know in the earlier in the episode you talked about you've been li- like you've been in japan majority of your life but yet you also made it to india at some point in time which definitely shows up in your profile because of course i pulled your human design and you have a one three in your profile uh, in human design. And that three is definitely what allowed you to be able to like want to get out. You want to experience other culture, you know, for the purpose of yoga, what we've realized. So let's uh, let's talk about that of how how did you find yourself and when did you find yourself in India? And then how did you get into meditation and then into yoga? What was what is that? like? Yeah, that's just the beauty of it. Right. Because who would have ever thought? that through the agony of the slow loss of the mother that I knew and the life that I knew, that from that dark place, I would reach for something, like anything that could really save me. And at the time, I was referring to health. And at the time, health meant to me health of the body. But the moment I got on the yoga mat, and since the first day my teacher said, you know, move your body in this way synchronously with your breath, which made me aware of just how out of touch I was with every inhale and every exhale. And it's my own breath, right? Nobody else could do it for me. And yet I was so out of touch with it. I I mean, I, I knew since day one that I had a long way to go. But the simplicity of that not only brought me back to my body, but it also taught me experientially that health is not only of the body. You don't have health of the body unless you're a whole person. That's body and mind and soul. And the mind part comes with a lot of thinking, thought, and emotions. Um, and the way that I feel it in my experience, it's kind of like paving the way to your soul almost because your soul is always there. It's, it's always present with you. You're just not, sometimes you don't feel it so close to you because your mind is so noisy. Your emotions are so scattered. So hence meditation helps you to calm the waters of your mind to have a sense of this grounded oneness with yourself. Now, I definitely was a person who wasn't going to walk into a meditation class. I mean, I was like, I think I was in my third year of university. My school friends are just partying and, you know, going out to clubs and drinking their beer or whatever. And in the meantime, you know, there was a little bit of that for me too. But I was also, I mean, I always had my mom on my mind. So it was kind of torture, this dichotomy. And... I still wasn't in a place where I was going to walk into a meditation class though, but I would walk into a yoga class for fitness of my body. And that's what I did. But I learned quickly 
that yoga is almost like meditation and movement because it requires your conscious awareness with your body movement. Yeah. So that was, that's, I mean, and then I guess after the yoga class, my teacher would nudge us to just sit for five minutes and then sometimes for 10 minutes and then sometimes for 20 minutes. Um, Do they call it Shavasana? Like, was that the language that was used? And like typical yoga classes, it's like, all right, Shavasana at the end. I might be saying it wrong. So excuse me, all, all, all the yogis in the world there. But like when you when you literally are like, okay, now I'm not moving my body. I am laying down and I'm surrendering and I'm just allowing myself to process and be at peace and in the nothingness. Yes. Yes. So um, in the tradition of yoga that I'm trained in, which is Ashtanga yoga, which is actually very rigorous and athletic as far as the different styles of yoga goes, they don't typically call it Shavasana, but it's it's the same thing. It's just lying down and taking rest and allowing your body to absorb all of the energy that you've just mobilized throughout your system. Yeah. And, um, but my teacher also had this pranayama hour, uh, like three times a week after the morning yoga classes and pranayama is a breathing class, but Usually with these breathing classes, you don't just do the breathing exercises. You do the breathing exercises and then you sit a little. Again, to gain awareness around and absorb the energy that you're moving in your body, in your system. Wow. I just like, I have to interject on this because two things. Well, one thing, like you just said it earlier, like you were using yoga for the physical it. But what you're getting to is that yoga is so much more than the exercise. The yoga actually was founded on on the space of what it's doing for your mind and the calming of the mind and syncing up and like in, like lowering the pair or the sympathetic and increasing the parasympathetic to get more in that rest, healing and recovery to shut down the chattering mind that's also loud all the time and how what you're just getting to right there with that breath what your teacher clearly was doing, because I'm I've been like studying this, like not nostril breathing, you know, versus the typical breathing which gets you in a sympathetic state. And yes, you can get an altered consciousness and people can literally almost feel like they're doing like plant medicine through the breathing, right? But it's actually putting you in like a near death experience whenever you do that rapid type of breathing, because like your body feels like it's it's dying. But the breath that you're describing is that okay, we're, we're coming back to like slow down the pace and we're like getting that parasympathetic activation happening in the body because majority of human beings are always in sympathetic dominance all the time, which is what creates chaos and diseases, right? And symptoms and chaos, like expand, expand, expand on that, right? Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to like interject talking about that. That is clearly Absolutely. very healing type of breath and connectedness to bring your mind like get out of your head and into your heart yes yes and so the simple super simplified takeaway for your listeners is that equanimity of mind follows equanimity of breath so anytime during your day when you notice that you're panting because you're hurried or maybe you're sighing because you're sad, but you're not inhaling. Or, or like, you know, maybe you're <gasps> inhaling a lot, 
and then your exhale it's super short whatever it is if you just take a moment to part and notice and inhale and exhale in an in an equalized manner so let the inhalation be as long strong and steady as your exhalation and immediately you'll begin to calm down your mind let's get in that parasympathetic activation like I like I always tell people like we're, our bodies are so hardwired to be like oh it's stress o'clock somewhere right now so your body's just gonna like find a reason to get stressed out and like worried or like oh rushed or I have to do this or have like find like something to worry about and I'm putting air quotes around that and exactly what you're saying about doing that type of breathing what is is there a name for that type of breathing what you're describing where you're you're equalizing the amount that the number and the amount of the inhale is the same on the exhale. So you can make sure that you can lower that frantic state, lower that anxiety and bring up more of the like calm, cool, collected, focused, and actually stop that anxious point. That type of breathing you're describing. I don't know that there is, but as far as I know, my teacher would just call it even breathing. But as we practice it, yeah, but as we practice it, though, in in the context of yoga, it got more and more intense. For example, initially, we would practice four counts in and four counts out. And then we would practice eight counts in and then eight counts out. And then eventually, you can extend that to 16 and 16. And then if you get really practiced at... Yeah, and then if you really practice calming your mind down, it's almost like you're a deep sea diver, right? You need to really shut down your mind so that your body and mind don't require oxygen because you're really slowing down the breath. You can work it to 32 and then even eventually to 64. Yeah, which is like, I'm talking about extreme practices of yoga now, and this is after like, at least after 10, 12 years of practice, but I'm saying it's possible to to um, guide your your body and your nervous system to that kind of calmness again. Yeah. Have you, whenever you get in those extended, and this is like my curiosity, and I know my other people that are like deep in you know the nervous system world, because I have a lot of other chiropractors that listen to this as well, Whenever you're doing the extensive breaths, like when you're saying going like 16 plus and definitely getting into the 64 range, do you feel out of your body or do you feel like, what would you say? Like, do you feel kind of like you're in an altered state? That's really interesting. You question that. That's really interesting because uh, personally, like in terms of my personal experience, I would say that I lose... I lose a sense of my body. So I wouldn't even say that I'm out of my body because I'm not even feeling my body as something to be out of. I'm only feeling the pure consciousness. I'm in the pure consciousness. I am the pure consciousness. So it, it's not that the body is in or out, that I'm in or out of the body or that the body exists or doesn't exist. It's just that it doesn't matter because you're just in a pure consciousness state. Is that how I sense it? Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm just intrigued because I'm just literally visualizing because there's so many different practices of where 
you know, Joe Dispenza's work and also with like Greg Braden and like and Bruce Lipton and all these different ways of being able to 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 manifest. Like that's like the mental states whenever you get the heck out of this primitive brain that's always in survival mode. You know, what do I have to do to survive? And then you can yeah. practices where you can when you get out of your head into your heart is like a big thing we always talk about getting into heart brain yeah and your breath i mean i've also heard is obviously breath is life like right and so use your breath to get in those altered states as well um to also train your not have to be so logical and so on rather than allowing more of the um backs like retraining and reprogramming your subconscious really so i'm like getting into like nerdy neurological stuff but you can do that all with the breath and when you when you're when you're describing this it's just getting me all like excited yes yeah i i want to touch upon something though because i'm all into this kind of nerdy stuff too but when you say, though, and I know that I've been there, and I would imagine that maybe some of your listeners are there, too, is that when when you go after it, the state, like when you go after the altered state, or even like the heart-brain coherence or living from your heart, when you go after it and you're being a go-getter about it, okay, when you approach the whole topic and the whole practice with the mindset of, it's another thing I want to take on my to-do list, you haven't left the conditioned state of mind that is actually very mental still, right? You haven't let go of the mind because you're still using the mind to want to get out of it, which is actually quite a paradox. And you keep presenting yourself with a lot of resistance. You'll never quite get there. You'll always find yourself trying. It took me freaking years to realize this, Dr. Natalie, but I'm, I'm trying to like kind of condense it for your listeners here is there will come a point, okay, so I don't know, for me, for the first 10 years at least, maybe 12 years, I used my mind wanting to get better, my mind wanting to be more calm, my mind wanting to be more peaceful, wanting to detox, wanting to clear out all this gunk out of my nervous system from conditioned past. I used that will to freaking get up in the morning, every morning, Whatever, 3, 3.30, practice for two hours, breathe for an hour, chant for an hour, meditate for an hour, whatever, and then eat a certain way, you know, go to South India, like do these things. I, I, I have been highly, highly disciplined in my life, like especially for the first like 12, 15 years of my life and then with a couple of pregnancies and kitty stuff in between, right? But I've been super disciplined. Oh, just... No big deal. Just a couple of pregnancies, which is like a rite of passage for a woman. And she goes through the sock <laughs> portal, you know, no big deal. Like, no, me, like, monthly. Yeah. Through over here. And and then there will come a point if, if, is it if, as you're practicing, as you're proceeding on your path, there will come a point where you realize that your own mindset, of wanting to get there is setting up your own barrier. And so in the ancient yogic texts, right? Um, I think it is the Upanishads or something. There's this verse that I just have always been so fascinated with about um, there, uh, the, the metaphor they use is of a funeral pyre and there's a fire there. And you take 
a piece of wood, like a wooden stick, right? And you use it to poke the fire and to poke the fire and to poke the fire, to work the thing and to work the thing and to work the thing, to keep the fire going, you know, to, to get there. But finally, when the, when the fire is warm enough and when, the, when done all it is that you need to do, finally your last, last, I'll put that in air quotes, um, is to take the stick you're holding and to throw it and to release it into the fire itself. So the very will that you've used to get yourself there, you've got to be willing to let that go in the end. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that's that surrender that everyone, you know, it's such such a catchphrase in the world of consciousness and yes, meditation and, you know, let it be like, let thy be like, don't stop like being a human, a human doing and be a human being and let it go her to be like frozen is playing all the time i have a young of a two-year-old or near two-year-old so she's listening to frozen all the time <laughs> let it go let it go and it's like <laughs> let it go and 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 to trust that and to also you like just i'm smiling here because so you're like oh no big deal like it just took like you know after 10 years of me doing this like <laughs> such a generator profile style right there because you're a pure generator and so in human design pure generators when they're on to something you go and you go and you go and you go and you're like yeah just 10 years of my life whereas someone like myself I'm like 10 years of your life of doing this like you're like you would be amongst the masters like this you're a part of a master of your craft with that going after you know these various essences and topics for this long of a period of time and and for you, I'm sure you're like, you still don't know enough. You know, there's still so much more to much more to experience and dive deeper with, right? That's why I'm a, I consider myself a perpetual student of life. And, and I love to keep myself there. I love to be a student more than anything else. You know, I love the process of learning and, and expanding. And um, I'm sure that in the past, you know, and when I really look back on, I, I guess I've been practicing yoga now for like 22 years or something. I feel like the first, maybe the first year I felt like a total beginner. And then the second year I felt like I was kind of getting better. And then by the end of the second year, my teacher asked me to teach if I wanted to teach and stuff. And that was about the point where I thought I knew the most, which is such a joke because that's like 20 years ago. And 20 years later, I don't, I guess sort of chucked the measurement, you know, I just, I don't bother wondering or thinking about, um, if I'm better than or less than, or if I'm more evolved or less evolved, or if I'm closer to something or not, I just, I just don't go there. Cause I don't, I understand that such measurements, that such judgments and dichotomies only come with the mind. And I just, I love and appreciate, like you said, living in your heart which is a timeless space and if you can just accept the fact that you don't need your measuring cups there you know then you would just be so much more happy and i think that's my message like you can be happy oh mm, my gosh but there's so much more to share with that too <laughs> they you when did you go to india i'm like i'm i'm just like what at what point did you go to India? And like when you're saying with your teacher, like because brought yoga more prominent in Japan because it's not 
it wasn't as prominent at that time, right? So you were right. on the fringe, right? You're on the fringe with doing this yoga thing and bringing it to, into Japan. And, and so can like, talk to me about that. Like there had to be so much trust and so much faith and so much knowingness, maybe a lot of, like some scaredness, you know, and like worry and fear, but, but not enough to stop you from going to India and then now bringing this back. And next thing you know, you're on the cover of this Yogini magazine and, and, uh, Japan on like, however, like 42 covers. And so let's start talking about that. Like what what made you decide to go to India and then start caring for the work you do today? So when I first started yoga, yoga really wasn't a thing in Japan yet. So there were only three yoga studios in all of Tokyo metropolitan area, which is like a joke. <laughs> but I started going to a place that was relatively close to where I went so that I could continue to practice. Because remember, I was like in the dump when I started. Okay, I was in bad shape, not just physically, but emotionally and like mentally, I was in bad shape. So I knew that if I wanted to be healthy, I would have to somewhat continue something. So I started going there, but my teacher once a year would take a month long hiatus to go to India for his own practice and study. So as I developed this daily morning practice, I mean, I, I practically lived in the studio. I was there five days a week, if not six days a week. Okay. So if my teacher wasn't there for a whole month, I would notice, I would not only notice, I felt slightly abandoned. Okay. It got me wondering where my teacher was going. And then, you know, my human design, somewhat of a geek. So I geeked out on who my teacher's teacher is. You know, what's this lineage? What's this tradition? And then I developed this idea of, oh, it's, I felt kind of like um, drinking at the source of the fountain. If he's going upstream and drinking up there, I want to go upstream. I'm not just going to like wait downstream for the stuff to trickle down. So I was definitely nervous that first. Um, but I, fortunately, I speak and understand English. And then eventually I got really good at speaking and understanding Indian English, which is like a thing of itself, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's because their, their accents are so heavy. You know, you have to kind of interpret them. But um, anyway, so um, in 2003, my Indian teacher was doing a world tour. And so I caught him for, I think, for like a week or two during the world tour. And then the following year in 2004, I started going to South India. Wow. You said, wait, you 2004, you went to where you said? South India. South India. Okay. So you in different areas of India then. So you weren't just in one place. You went, you traveled around a little bit then. Well, initially, I was only going to this founding school of Ashtanga Yoga in South India. That's where I started in 2004, and that's where I actually kept going. I went every year for some 13 years, and I actually kept a house there. I would stay there for like um, about a total of maybe three or four months per year, every year for the first 13 years, which also means that um, I spent both of my pregnancies there. And with my firstborn son, um, even after I had the baby, he's, you know, by the time he was six years old or five years old, he had been going to India every summer. 
you know? So he grew up like his baby food was Indian food because he grew up on that stuff. Oh my gosh. That is another element that I'm just like, how did you do that? That I have a three in my profile in human design and so does my husband. He is actually a one three similar to how your profile is. And we have this mass interest in wanting to be able to like go to another culture and spend at least a month there and and then some and to really immerse ourselves in the culture and you know with purpose and everything but you did that with a baby and and it was was just you at the time right just you and the baby and then eventually two babies and I mean so you obviously had a whole other family there too to be spending that amount of time and you said you had a home there I can't even imagine like how, how did that how did that come together and is that was that just part of the magic of the manifestation of the house came in did you hunt for it like how did that happen by at that point I wouldn't even say that um there was no idea of like manifesting it or even intending for some of these chapters to unfold in my life again I just go back to how I had started from such a desperate place of needing to get better because like I was in the shits, remember? So I, I needed this. I needed this to get better. I needed this to feel better. And when I started to feel a little better, it sparked something in me. I started to wonder, well, how healthy can I be? Like how balanced I can be? How pure can I polish this nervous system? So I all, I actually kind of like went off on a whole other spectrum to somewhat of like a monkhood almost you know I mean I was eating like pure raw like 90% raw organic in my 20s and this is before my first pregnancy and I was just like I said I would wake up at 2:50 in the morning to have like a silent bath or shower um, silent mantra chanting and then anywhere between 90 minutes to two hours and 20 minutes of asana practice, followed by maybe 10 minutes of pranayama, followed by 40 minutes of meditation, followed by like puja and like mantra chanting, which is like a Hindu form of worship. But for me, it was, again, a preparation to meditation. So I immersed my life. I immersed myself in this practice. I didn't, like every morning I would wake up and not, talk to anybody for like the first five hours of my life because I spent it in silence. I I spent it in beingness. Um, and so that was a whole phase of my life. Um, but also in my mid to late 20s, I had my first marriage. And my first husband was also a yoga practitioner. So we were very much in that lifestyle together. And actually, he was another person, aside from my first teacher, who really encouraged me to teach yoga because I actually wasn't interested in teaching. I was interested in learning. I was always interested in learning. But he just saw in me that one day I would make a great teacher, and he really pushed me, actually, to start teaching. Um, And then I did. I started teaching. I started teaching when it... I felt like I was so blessed to get to go to India and to learn and study at the feet of the guru and to have these experiences that were transforming me. And at a certain point, I felt like I would be totally energetically constipated if I didn't start sharing what I was learning. 
So that's how I started sharing. I started traveling around different parts of Japan and um, sharing Ashtanga Yoga and um, everything that was changing my life about food and diet and, and awareness. Um, and then... And were you still raw at this time? What? So, I mean, anybody in the world of consciousness truly knows if they just shut out their ego and all, their, all the brainwashing of like eating animals and blah, 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 all this other stuff, you truly know to clean and purify your vessel, you have to eat life, life give life, life giving food, meaning not dead food, high frequency foods, meaning plants, right? Right. So I had experimented with different like eating modalities throughout my 20s. And then the first couple of times that I tried raw foods, I, I failed miserably because the winters in Japan, it was too cold. And then I wasn't getting quality plant foods. But when I when I sorted out what I wasn't getting right about getting the right quality of food and like the soil quality and the freshness and um, pure water, all of these elements, what I when I figured it all out, it started working for me. I mean, I my body used to metabolize so fast that I would get a scar on my hand and it would heal itself without scabbing. I just need like a few hours and my skin would regenerate and it would kind of fall off and shed like snake skin. My friends at the time used to call me, my friend, my bestie at the time said, May, you're like too healthy, it's sick. That was what she said to me. And then they used to call me, yeah, they used to call me Claire from that, um, what's that old TV series? There's like this cheerleader girl who um, regenerates herself. I can't even remember what the series is called. Oh my gosh, no, I, I can't think of it, but it's like there, there's little pieces starting to come in right here. Um, yeah, I don't know, but somebody will know. It's one of the listeners. Are... <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they, um, but I also realized um, in my late 20s that I was also living in a bubble, right? Because you can't, live and function in modern society, waking up at 2.50 a.m. and living like a monk. You gotta kind of segregate yourself. Before talking right. to anybody. Right. Like, yeah. my husband is yeah, so, like, so, as soon as I wake up, I'm talking right away. So I'm like, oh, you did it, is mass amount of discipline. Mass amount of discipline. Yeah, and, and I would do that in India, too. I don't think I could do that as much here in Japan. I mean, I could do it somewhat, but not as much as the way that I would dive deep into it in India. But, um, but yeah, I also recognized that I was kind of in this bubble. And so my first pregnancy helped me to rebalance that segregation between me and society. The, the, as soon as I was pregnant with the first one, I had been eating raw organic for like two years. But as soon as I got pregnant, I really wanted to eat potatoes and rice. Now, potatoes and rice are two things you don't eat without cooking. So I just followed my, na my natural body's um, intuition and, and I started eating potatoes, rice again, and I would cook them. So throughout my pregnancy, I never went, I never needed meat. I don't, I didn't even need seafood. And, um, but I, as I was still plant-based, but I started eating cooked foods again and and then the first child I had at a birthing center, 
which was a great experience. It was, I had, I was able to have a natural unmedicated birth, but oh my God, Dr. Natalie, let me tell you, it was so painful. Okay. So my first birth bowling ball. But here's the thing, you know, the thing you were saying earlier about how people have this mindset of do, 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 doing, 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 they don't know how to come into relaxation, how to come into parasympathetic, how to let go. So that was me like on steroids in my 20s. Okay. I was so do, 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 like get shit done, high achiever, you know, run, 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 a lone wolf, you know, let me do my thing. Okay. And I, and I, personality. Yeah. I'm so good at it. I've actually changed quite a bit, but in my twenties, that's how I was. So when I approached birth, you know, I studied about it. I read about it and I even read somewhat about pain-free and orgasmic births and stuff. But when I came across that information, it just didn't quite ring a bell for me because my mom, when I was a teenager and my mom had four kids, I'm the last of four kids in my family. And my mom, after I got my period in my like teens said to me, may, you know, congratulations. Now your body is like, um, able and you know, one day you're going to have your own babies too. But when the day comes and you get your contractions and it hurt very much. And it hurts so much and it hurts so much that you want to go to the hospital. Wait, wait for it to hurt a hundred times more before you go to the hospital. That was what my mom said to me. And y'all, I wasn't aware of it then, but clearly it had left a subconscious impression on my mind because I couldn't shake off the idea, the thought that pain would uh, that giving birth would be super painful. So that was kind of how I walked in, even though I had developed so much awareness and so much, I was so in tune with my body through seven years of daily yoga practice by then and, and eating raw. And, you know, I was like clean and super, super fit mentally. And also physically, you know, my core was super strong. Um, as I prepared for birthing at the birthing center, I hadn't yet learned and nobody had taught me, not even my midwife (laughs) had quite guided me to this place of total surrender. So I walked into this birth and I just had this really, really painful experience. I felt like I was ripped off from my core and I felt like Excuse me. I felt like um, I just I just felt so torn apart. You know, I felt like, why? How can God do this to women? This isn't how it's supposed to be. So it took me, you know, weeks and months to recover. But eventually, of course, I, um, my body could recover and get back to like a full-on, super athletic, rigorous yoga practice. Um, And I never knew that I would have another child, especially because I was divorced from my first husband shortly after my son was born. So I was a single parent for a while. Um, But I had this thought in the back of my mind that that birthing, I just didn't 
think it was supposed to be that painful. And I thought, you know, if I ever do this again, I think I can do this better the next time. So, you know, years later in my thirties, I remarried. And then we decided that we wanted another baby and I was blessed with another pregnancy. So the, the second time around, I prepared myself in a whole different way. I prepared myself for surrender so that I don't need to be barged open, you know, so that my, the second birth is my whole story. Oh, so what was part of that preparation? Because exactly what you're saying, and most people are like, I'm physically ready. Well, I say most people, people that are prepared and they're like physically ready and they're like, okay, I know this idea of an orgasmic birth or, you know, the whole check, check, check the boxes, but there's a different level of mental preparation that made the shift for you to be able to surrender and to like, yeah, it's still painful, but to like go through that birth portal and like have a totally different look on it. So what did that look like for you? Like, let's say, how did you prepare? Yeah, that's so awesome. And actually from my second birth, I had an almost all pain-free birth. It wasn't orgasmic, but it was almost all pain-free. So I could tell you a little bit about that. Um, and early in my second pregnancy, right. And by this time, um, my first son is eight years old. I'm super happily remarried. And my husband is very in tune, not just with me, but also with the baby and we're with our growing family. And so we, we had this basis, this foundation of understanding, which I want to bring up because I feel like birthing is so whole that you don't want to be in this like isolated, I'm the one that's doing this mindset. You know, it's coming through you, but you're doing it together. You're doing it together with the force of life. You're doing it together with the baby, perhaps with your partner. Hopefully you have that relationship of trust with your partner because that would, that would support you hugely in your mindset and in your nervous system to know that you have that backup, right? Um, if you have siblings or whatever, your relationship with your midwife, your doula, your doctor, just so that you have this basis of trust because it's so imperative that the woman who is birthing can feel safe. Because if you don't feel safe, you can't relax. And you can't. So... Uh, early in my pregnancy, the second time around, I was actually about to go for a clinic birth, but my husband was the one who noticed that he was like, I don't think, you know, is this stressing you out? Like something about how the nurses were scrutinizing my scores. I was super healthy. I was, there was nothing wrong with me, but, but if, you know, I was like two pounds over the bell curve, they had something to say about it. And I just wasn't really vibing with it. And so my husband was the one who was quick to point out, hey, is this stressing you out? Because if it is, we should change the birthing place. And at the time, I was 27 weeks in. And in Japan, with the birthing regulations, 28 weeks is the cutoff line for you to change birthing places if you change, if you have a change of mind or if you're like going home, you know, to whatever region you're from or whatever. Um, but thanks to my husband's keen observation, I said, you're right. 
you know, I might add also that the reason why I was just going to go for the clinic birth anyway was because I knew that my husband had paid the down payment for the clinic and that they don't reimburse. And look at that. Like, you're like, I just got to push through because we made this down so, payment. Oh, that's that's what I thought. And that's what I said to my husband. But my husband, bless his soul, was like, hey, I know how much money I've paid and I know how much we're going to lose because they're not going to pay us back. But he also said, if any of this is stressing you out, I don't want this to stress you out. I don't want this to stress the baby out. We should change it. So I said to him, you know, I've done all my research and I thought this was the best place. And if it's not, honey, we're going to end up doing this at home. And he said, that's okay, baby. Let's do this at home. So I, I know, right? <laughs> it's so amazing. So I found a midwife that would be willing to come to her house. I started working with her and I started, I totally switched gears and, and, um, I just. I just knew that I not only needed to ignore what my mom said about how painful it would be this time, but that I would also need to repaint the landscape of my psyche. It wasn't going to be enough just to eliminate the negative. I needed new positive images, ideas that would help prepare me for the opening so I'm not just going in blind. So I started reading, studying, watching documentaries about the like home births and um, ecstatic births and stuff. But I also had this weird little sense of watching other women give birth. I felt a little bit like it was risky for me because when you're watching these documentaries or whatever footage on YouTube or something, you don't really know how it's going to end until you get to the end. So I didn't want to expose myself to the risk of that. Right. Unless someone's like recommending you something you don't really know. And mind you, I was like well into my second trimester by then. So then I got this brilliant idea of why don't I just watch wild animals? So every night on YouTube, I would watch beautiful wild animals giving birth. One night it was the gazelle. Another night, it was the horse, giraffe, cat, cow, dog, buffalo, zebra, you name it, I'd seen it. And so I totally, I mean, and they're amazing. They just like, they all go into this zone of safety and relaxation. And well, like you should have seen the giraffe. It was like so tall and it still just flopped the baby out. You know, like it was effortless, but I watched so many of these animals until finally one night it dawned upon me. If they can do it, so can I, right? Only human, <laughs> thank you. Like only human beings green and resistant and we don't need to. I, that right there, scream and resistance. I'm going to like take that, like literally because we've been hardwired and programmed and lovingly so you know moms and whomever else passed on and friends and darn media like not lovingly is like this is what it takes you need to be in stirrups and your feet need to be up here and you need to have like poke and prodded and you know iv sit in here and like oh it's a process oh you're not baby's not ready to come right now let's go ahead and give you some pitocin and the 
eight effects starts happening and you're not in your bio like we are mammals you watched mammal 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 birth babies how they do it unhindered untouched and how they were able to do it because they have this divine wisdom inside of them knowing exactly what to do and they are able to be embodying that experience like they didn't they weren't taking coaching from anybody on how to yes baby giraffe or you know what i mean so uh go yes and then these animals right they don't they can't talk they don't have words you know god knows god only knows what kind of thoughts they have or even if they have thoughts or not but what i can tell you from having observed a, a whole herd of these things in the moment, oh, pun intended a herd <laughs> um they there was a common thread, okay? There were a few things that I felt like they were all doing. Okay, I can tell you a few of these. One, utmost, fundamental, they ensure that they are in a safe environment. And by that, I don't just mean like security safe. I mean that the mama can feel safe. Okay, so it doesn't matter if you're in an expansive place or if you're in a small unit or if you're in a bright or dark place or whatever, as long as the mom feels safe in that environment. Okay, so that's some one, the first ultimate thing that I sensed from watching these videos. Um, the second is that in that safety, they move freely. None of them were like, rigid or fixed in their body and behavior there is a there is a, a a relaxation and a flow to the way that they would move their bodies and even their breath because you can hear them it's almost like they're moaning almost not unlike the way a woman might open herself to her lover in bed you know there is this freeness and openness you know um and then lastly, the, the voice part. Like, again, not unlike the moments you spend in bed making the baby, when it comes time to birth the baby, there was this openness, this ah, this moaning. There was no, you know? It's always this ah, this openness. Um, and you can tell that their jaw and their neck and their body is not, tensed up there is this sense of release happening so i use i would you know i used those footages to kind of repaint the landscape of my mind and then i also and then of course like by this time i had been teaching yoga and meditation and leading guided shavasanas are like my forte and i had been doing this for like i don't know 16 years at that point and then i was like oh my god why didn't I ever think about doing this to myself? So headset on like an athlete training for the Olympics, because you know when your time comes, you only get one go at it. Just zone into that feeling. Practice when the contractions come. Every time the wave comes, the more I allow, the more I release. The stronger the wave, the more intense the pressure the bigger I am, the more I open. So that's how I practice. And that's exactly how it was for me in the moments of birth. That is just like, I get like chill bumps thinking about it because 
yes, we're talking all about birth right now. And for the listeners are like, I'm past that stage of life. I mean, you're way past that stage of life right now. I mean, you could still birth right now if you wanted to. But this applies to life. I'm sure you to learning to life moving forward of like dancing you ride the wave and flow with the wave. Yes. Let's let's just start to move into that as we as we get closer. I know we're already like I knew we were gonna go like this and have so much to talk about in, in this episode. So I know we're gonna have to continue and do like a part two and then like shift this. But this is a great like coming up and leading up to as you're describing this with birth because this applies to how you can surrender and ride the wave in life and rewire those subconscious patternings that were led to believe that it had to be another way it had to be so contracted so tight so so aggressive when it doesn't have to be that way yes so i had to retrain my my relationship to pain okay so this is, and I'm using again the metaphor of my birth, but I believe that this can apply to other forms of pain, whether physical or mental or even emotional. Okay. So when pain, when you feel pain, or in my case, like as the contractions, as the intensified pressures were just pushing against me, the human conditioned response is to cringe, is to tighten up, tense up, and resist. Now, the thing that's different about birth, because with a lot of pain, you're so afraid that this might be the end, or that you might die, or that something worse might happen. So hence, you're going to resist, right? But the thing that's so different about birth is that you know that life is coming through. So, but that's actually what I want to, um, I, I, I actually want to place that on other pain too, because even when you have other pain, like in my case with my grief, because I lost my husband just five months after having that home birth. Okay. And, and the waves of grief and the pain of grief was super intense, but I knew better than to resist it. I had no idea how my life would be or what it would look like after that loss. But I knew that it wasn't the end. Um, not for me, not for my kids. And I would even argue not even for my husband, right? Because energy just changes form, okay? But um, so as the pain intensifies, Instead of the human conditioned response, which is to cringe, to resist, to tense up, if you could just use your conscious awareness to allow, this is something beyond me. This is something beyond my knowing. I have no idea what the other side of this is going to look like, but I am humbled. It is not in my power to control this phase of my life, and I release I surrender. And you used this word earlier, and you said faith. But if you have that trust in your body, in your baby, in your life, and in your future, you know, it's so intangible that I, I don't know what else to call it, but to call it trust. But just a little bit, just enough to say, hey, there might be another way. 
you know, there might be a higher way than me just holding up this fort and resistance. And so in the case of my home birth, you know, the waves would come, the waves would come, I would allow. They would come stronger, they would come bigger. I would allow bigger. I would allow bigger. I would allow bigger, release bigger. And then in the final like 40 minutes or so, I wanted to be in the tub, in the warm tub. So my husband had prepared this warm tub for me. We moved into the bathroom and I was accompanied by my midwife and my husband. And this was like 6 a.m.-ish on a Wednesday morning. And I, in the in the corner of my mind, I'm like, oh, my eight-year-old's going to wake up any minute now because he's going to think it's a regular school day, right? But I'm in the bathtub and just moving like one of those wild animals, just going like, and, and using words like open and release to guide my mind that way. Because if I use those words, the body would follow. If my mind can go there, the body would follow. Sure enough, the little one wakes up. He runs into the dining room, the living room. Nobody's there, like oddly quiet in the kitchen. Finally, he finds his way into the bathroom. We're like having a freaking birthday party there. And he's like, Mom, it is a birthday what do you party. think? <laughs> yes, we are. That's what I mean. So he goes, Mom, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm kind of in the middle of something. Well, honey, would you mind waiting in the living room? I said, I'm fine. I'm doing just fine, but I just need you to wait in the living room. I just, just in case something went wrong, I didn't want the risk of him witnessing something that, you know, we wouldn't be able to avoid. So I asked him to wait in the living room and he goes, okay. And I hear him trotting down the hall and he, and at some point he stops and he hollers. He goes, wait, but mom, do I have to go to school today? And I holler back at him from the tub. This is just like minutes before giving birth. No, honey. And he goes, why? And I'd say, because your brother's going to be born today. And so I gear him trot down the hall. And just moments after that, with a pop and a gush that my water broke in the tub. And I had told my midwife that it was a dream of mine to take up the baby with my own hand, if at all possible, that I wanted my hand to be the first that his head would touch in this world, you know? And I, you know, because the water allowed for movement on my body. And then as he started to crown, my midwife said, um, Mason, you know, you should reach with your hand. You can feel his head. And so I reached with my left hand and I touched this gentle, virgin fluffy hair just slaying underwater and it gave me so much power like oh the end was near and i just needed like one more push to get his shoulder and his body out but the thing i want to tell you is that um you know how i said that my birth was almost all pain free here's how i know here's how i know because right in that final moment, before um, like before his head was about to crown, like as his head is descending into the birth canal, I was aware that I had the thought out enter my mind for the first time. I was so hyper aware that I caught the thought out enter my mind for the first time. And then that's when I thought, 
oh, heck, it's been nine hours and I haven't fought ouch this whole time. Because the whole time, with the, with the heightening contractions, I had allowed bigger, I had allowed bigger, I had allowed bigger. I hadn't even thought ouch until like the final, final moment. So when the thought ouch entered, I was very aware that the thought ouch had nothing to do with the experience, the sensation. The sensation is not ouch. The sensation is purely pressure. The sensation is just pure experience, pure sensation. The thought is a label that follows the experience. And I was aware enough to know the difference. So when the thought ouch entered my mind, I, um, I, I almost like swiped left on it. I didn't take it so seriously. Like, oh my God, this is so painful. And this is going to be so bad. That wasn't my reaction. I was like, sure. You're like, nope. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh, exactly. And that's the thing is that you can, but you can choose which to engage with and which not to engage with. And in this case, I thought. Well, I aware that the thought ouch came up in my psyche and then I just let it flow by. And then, and that was the only moment in the nine hours and however many minutes that I thought ouch. So nothing else was, that's why I say it was almost all pain free. And it, yeah. Such a crew. And like, this is all so beautifully described and I get like oh I just love hearing birth stories but it's so beautifully described through birth but that same present time awareness of like seeing the word like seeing the word and not feeling into the word like you were able to like disassociate the what the typical meaning of the word is and to not actually have to like allow it to be present in in your body and not embody it like you had the opportunity to choose and the awareness of it to choose to, I want, I'm, I'm going to feel the ouch or I'm not going to feel the ouch, or I'm going to allow myself to believe that that's an ouch of the way I'm programmed to believe what an ouch is. You decided, like, I love how you said, like, you swipe left. You were, like, essentially smacking yeah. left with it. Like, I choose yeah. not. And that's, like, the yeah. beauty of meditation, right, is, like, thank yeah. goodness act on all of our thoughts in our head because we would have all have killed ourselves by now. Now, granted, we would be, like, yeah. reincarnate, you know, but... Go on. So let's let's go. Well, and, and that's the thing, though, because I think when I talk about the clear recognition of a thought and having the reins in my hands in a way that I could choose if I want to swipe left or not, you know, to, to have that distance between myself and my thought, myself and my mental activity, I think a lot of people would be like, well, wait, you know, I'm always so involved with my thoughts i am my thoughts like how do i even get there but that's what i mean i think that's what you mean and you know when these teachers teach us to live in our hearts to be in our hearts to get out of your mind to get out of your head and observe your thoughts when you're observing your thoughts you're not in your mind you're not in your head and metaphorically speaking that's what they mean when you're in heart consciousness Yes. Yes. Gosh, like that, that, and gosh, we could go on for so many more hours with this, but I want to try to like wrap this up with this, with this part here, at least on how can, 
what would you say is the ease of all the years of your training, but what can you encourage people who don't have those years of training, the knowledge that you have, what can they start doing today to start disassociating from those thoughts that come into the head all the time and start choosing no or swiping left? What would you say would be an actionable, tangible thing people can start doing now and then expanding upon it, obviously, because this is the practice. Again, it's the practice and journey of life, right? That's something you're like, you're going to accomplish one time and you've got a certificate and you never have to work on it again. But what would be the best way for somebody to get started with, with doing, using that like, that associative law of attraction of like, oh, witnessing it happen and then doing it again and doing it again and creating that ripple effect in all areas of their life. I want to encourage people. Answer. Well, but I, I actually also teach a lot of this every week because I'm still teaching like meditation and mindfulness and stuff. And unfortunately, my classes are all in Japanese now. So I, I don't, I mean, eventually I should do this in English too, but um, I like to encourage um, my friends and those in the community to create space. It requires slowing down and intentional slowing down. And like you said, shifting from the doing, 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 like the to-do list mindset to being. Now, to get a head start on this, I highly recommend that you just take the beginning moments of your day. So when you wake up in the morning, whether you use an alarm clock or you wake up naturally or whatever, just say to yourself, okay, for the first 20 minutes of your day, I'm not going to jump to my phone. I'm not going to open my emails. I'm not going to play the music. I'm not going to engage in my thoughts. I'm not going to pick up the things that I was worried about last night. I'm just going to be the gentle observer. I'm just going to watch. I'm just going to watch. Just observe. And that's the hardest part about um, practicing meditation is that it's, it's like a non-doing. No one can teach you to not do anything, right? It's like, all you can do is just be. So it's almost like a negation of everything that school ever taught you to do, you know, or everything that society ever taught you to do. Because school, society, your parents, everyone teaches you to like get shit done, really. You know, it's like, don't just hang out and do nothing. Um, fill in your schedule, fill in your time and like accomplish something. But meditation is like the opposite. It's just to allow yourself to be as you are and observe that. Observe the space. Yeah. It's so incredibly hard. Even knowing what I know, oh, but want to go right into checking my inbox, clearing through my inbox, like relieving this pressure that self-induced that I'm putting on myself. And I'm like, I just got to relieve that pressure. But then guess what? It builds right back up again because my body's addicted to it. And then I just have to relieve it over here. And then instead of just taking the pause, the conscious pause, or even just five minutes, right? 
then yes, 20 minutes or however long you could do to expand upon that. So yeah, and I, I, it, it's a powerful thing. And I, I would say in, it's almost like a doing question in the act of being and in the pausing, would you say, would you recommend somebody to build up, like say, start with just five minutes so that way they don't feel the pressure of like, and then continue, like maybe giving themselves a little more time. And then, and then like, is there a particular, here's another thing, is there a particular type of breath work that you, maybe you would say, do this in association with a breathing of inhaling for four and exhaling for four, like maybe pairing that at the same time. So because the act of the breathing and the focusing on the breathing can remove your mind from all those thoughts that are coming in, right? Because then now you're just focusing on the breath. So would that be a good thing right. to do at that same time? Yeah, the great thing about using your breath is that you never lose it. You always have it with you anywhere you go at whatever hour, no matter how messed up you are, right? So it's it's a great tangible tool that you can get a hold of. Um when you feel out of balance, you can use it immediately and it'll help you immediately. It's kind of like if you were learning to walk and you needed to hold on to a handrail, you know, to help you along your way. You can just count your breath and you can go inhale and exhale. Choose a number that's comfortable for you. Like four or five or six is usually a good amount of length for most people. If it feels long for you, make it shorter. If it feels short for you, make it a little longer. And it will probably depend on your day if you're that observant. But um, this equanimous breathing is something that can assist you throughout life. Um, and, you know, the thing is, consciousness is everywhere, at all times, omnipresent. And therefore, it doesn't... It doesn't matter. It doesn't care. It doesn't choose from which door or window you enter its grace. You know, if you want to go in through the window of breathwork, great. If you want to start with yoga, great. If you want to start with meditation, if you want to start with a silent practice, if you want to start, you know, taking pottery classes and it helps you focus, anything, anything that gives you that spaciousness of mind. So consciousness doesn't mind. You enter through the love of your heart. You know, if if making pottery is your thing, enter through there. If riding horses is your thing, enter through there. If hugging your kids is your thing, you know, hug them. Just it's it's what calls your heart. Walk in nature, like yeah. But but like you said, that our mind when our mind pushes us to do do do, you know, to like get shit done. It's like you're not allowing yourself to be because you require more doing, you know? Um, yeah, and it's really this, that, this allowance of allowing more space, allowing more time, allowing, allowing more grace. So whatever calls your heart. Gosh, this has been so beautiful. I just want to keep going on so i'm assuming are you open to and continuing this on because i know our listeners are going to be like oh we've been like we might be lingering a little bit right here i want to hear more <laughs> where can 
Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, can they hear more of you here? It sounds like a yes, but where can they of hear course. more of you? Yeah, I would love it if you... Yeah, I would love it if you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is N-A-E-Y-O-S-H-I-K-A-W-A, where I try to post bilingually for the most part. Um, and, and we spoke a lot about yoga and meditation today. My other love is writing. So I recently um, signed with a New York literary agency for the publication of my first book in English, which is a memoir which dives into a lot of the stuff that we spoke about today. Um, the working title is Kizuki, which is the Japanese word for realization or epiphany, something that you were formerly unaware of that you realized. And once you realize something, you can't unrealize it. So it works through my experience. Yes, it works through my experience of grief, and also pregnancy and child rearing and how everything I need to know about coping with pain in life, I learned through birthing my children, right? Um, but it's really a story of the metamorphosis of my identity as I've gone through these life experiences. So I would say it's going to be like another year or so before um, the book is out in stores, but please find me on Instagram. And also my flagship website is M-A-E-Y. Dot L I V E. So you can learn more about my book there as well. Oh, perfect. So I was just going to ask you to spell out your book again because I want to like lock in that word. So what is what is the word again? It's called Kizuki, K I Z U K I. And you can find that on my website too. I have a page that's dedicated to my book so you can learn more about it there. Oh, it's so exciting. Without a doubt, people. I know I'm going to be following it. I'm going to want to know when the book comes out. I just, my last podcast I did was with another one that was putting her book out, and it's a memoir in relation to child rearing and everything else, mm -hmm. too. And this is just beautiful work that you women are putting out here, doing wonderful things, having gone through, yes, life and experiences, but coming out on the other side and wanting to share that with others. So thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you so much for, you know, being vulnerable, putting yourself out there. And then continuing to spread that message to empower and inspire other people to find that space. Find that oh, space. Dr. Natalie, it's been such a joy. I'm so grateful to have connected with you. I'm so grateful for your audience. And I can't wait till we get to talk again. Me either. Oh, my gosh. You have a blessed rest of your day. And yes, until next time. And just find in the show notes too you know where to find her where we could follow up with her and definitely keep her rawing her as she to bring out this that i know it's going to be so exciting to talk about and be exciting to read when it comes out so you have a wonderful day and until next time thank you so much <laughs>